Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about whether you should fire your accountant. And uh, we are recording this uh, podcast on lucky Friday the 13th of uh, March in 2020, which means that in the accounting world, we are in the heart of what is known as busy season, uh, which may or may not be extended depending on what the IRS decides to do in response to coronavirus. But this is the time when the relationship between the accountant and the client is at its most intense, at least for most, uh, for most clients. And, you know, for good or ill, in many cases, um, clients talk to their accountants pretty much only this time of year. And we can have a discussion at some point later as to whether or not that's a, that's a good thing or the prudent thing. Um, but this is the time of year when, um, uh, things get tense, uh, things pop up on the tax return that the client wasn't necessarily uh, expecting when phone calls and emails are not returned as quickly as they are through the rest of the year because there's a traffic jam. And so the most strain is put on that accountant-client relationship. And, you know, at some point as a client, you may start thinking about, well, you know, is this relationship really working for me? Should I be looking elsewhere? Or is this just kind of the nature of the business? And is what I'm experiencing something that I would likely get from somebody else if I switched and I should just sort of leave well enough alone? So uh, I hope that you will find it as a, a timely uh, topic. And if you've listened to a podcast from a few weeks ago, we did one on should we fire a lawyer? So this is an equal opportunity podcast. We'll have should we fire your financial advisor? Should we fire your gardener? Should we fire your 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 Uber driver, should you fire the person that uh, that mows your lawn? So we'll go through all kinds of firing kinds of podcasts. But today we're talking about accounting, and uh, even though I work for an accounting firm, I am not an accountant. Uh, if I talk anything about accounting, it's instantly malpractice. So joining us today to help us talk about accountants and relationships with our accountants is my longtime friend, Brian Woodman of Woodman & Associates. We go back a long way, at least 10 years Woodman & Associates is a professional accounting services firm specializing in CFO services, financial reporting, audit support services, and internal accounting assistance, all typically on a project basis for small and mid-sized businesses. Brian is a senior financial leader with 18 years of proven technical and financial management expertise with a focus on middle market technology, services and manufacturing, and distribution businesses from startup to a billion dollars in revenue. He has proven expertise in leading internal and external finance and accounting-based projects and teams, 
business and accounting process development and review, and financial reporting research and implementation expertise under U.S. GAAP. He is a CPA license in Georgia, all around good egg and sporting these brand new glasses that I just can't take my eyes off of. Brian Woodman, uh, welcome to the program. Oh, uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, you know, you reading that makes me sound like I'm bragging. So I've never had that read back to me in my bio. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed, but uh, well, but <laughs> some of the intro, some of it's true, right? <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, it, it it it's interesting. You mentioned that I hate having my bio read as well. I. I you know, when I do speaking gigs and so forth, and I, I do want to sort of put my hands hands over my ears like this. Uh, it's like yeah. I'm sorry, my marketing <laughs> people made me write that. I'm I'm really a bad guy. <laughs> um, so no worries. Let, let's 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 jump into this. And you know, I'm having sure. you on the program for a lot of reasons, but your expertise is, is that you've been in the CPA role, right? You grew up as an auditor. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and and in public accounting. And now you're in a position where you're kind of you're doing some accounting work, but I think you're also coordinating who your clients hire and work with to Correct. get sort of the kind of the bulk work done. Right. Yes. So yeah. you are sort of a kingmaker. Right. And if you decide that you're going to if you decide that that somebody needs to be voted off the island, you're going to tell the client and more often than not. They're going to do what you tell them because why pay for your advice if you're not going to follow it? Right. Yeah, I've I've been in I've been on both sides at this point. On the service provider side, I was an auditor for for many years, so I know what makes clients happy and what makes them upset. Right. So um, it's it's good for me to have that on the other side to help my client make the right decision about which service provider to pick. Yeah. So, so I mean, how often do clients? Do, how often do clients make these make make a change? Do, are, are, there, are clients kind of always looking for a reason to fire their CPA, or do they tend to come to that decision after a lot of a lot of thought? Well, I think entering a relationship with a, an accountant is a very thoughtful process. So, especially with small business, your business is tied to your personal life in many cases. So, business is personal. So you're sharing your intimate financial details with someone. So in most cases, at least for small businesses, it's a somewhat personal decision and you want to find someone that you trust. So you put a lot of thought into that. So the intent is to go into that relationship to last. Um, so I would say uh, how often, you know, do, uh, do clients look to, to change their accountants? I would say they're not looking to necessarily change their accounts unless they have to. Um, so I would say not often as. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when, when you, when you come to that decision and, and, and you're advising, you know, what, what are the most frequent reasons that clients do decide they're going to change accountants? Um, well, let's see, there's a few, uh, price, uh, unmet expectations, um, some of the reasons where it's not really a choice is if there's a change in control of the company or, or a change like larger companies, a change in the C-suite. Right. Um, so they may kind of bring their, their own accountants along or advisors. I mean, so when we define accountant, you know, that could mean several different things. Yeah. You know, there's compliance related work, which is, you know, tax returns and audits. And then there's more advisory work. So it kind of depends on who you're talking about, but, um, I would say like, you know, so I was in audit, so I know that 
that best. So if it's an auditor and you've got a new CFO in place, it's possible that the CFO kind of brings in the, the firm that they've known, depending on where the company is at um, at any time. So, uh, you know, so change of control, um, you know, if an acquisition takes place, so, you know, a foreign parent buys a, um, a U.S. sub, there could be a reason to change the, the accounting relationship there. Um, I think I mentioned price, although it's not always the best reason to change. Um, uh, oftentimes, clients or companies are required to go out and bid the work out just to make sure they're still in range, and oftentimes the change occurs just through that process. Um, other reasons, uh, you know, a company can grow and kind of outgrow the depth of their current, you know, single, single shop, um, you could say, and uh, it may require more depth and es- expertise in a specific area, so they may have to go and, and find a firm that can uh, meet their needs there. Yeah, I just I just had a conversation. I do office hours in uh, Alpharetta, Georgia, an organization called Tech Alpharetta twice a month. And last Wednesday, somebody came in and you know started started talking about um, research and development tax credits. Sure. And I said, well, you know, look, I, I'm I have a passing familiarity with them, but I'm not an actual CPA. I don't even do my own tax return. So, you know, who's your accountant? He says, well, our accountant is just, you know, sort of a guy that we decided to go with because he was the cheapest. And I said, well, you know, maybe for research and development tax credits, you need more than just some guy. Right? <laughs> and, and, and that, that is a case where the complexity of what that client needs outgrows kind of right. the, you know, the, the single shingle that for certain areas may be a fine accountant, right? But right. reaches a technical depth that just, you cannot reasonably expect unless that person just happened to be an R and D tax expert at a bigger firm that just did did that. And that that is the case. So I'm not. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm knocking single shingle. You're not. Um, it's just that the single shingle can't do everything to the depth that a say a large national firm could probably right. do. But you you may have a boutique shop or a single shingle that may fit your specific need, and that might be the right person. Yep. So, um, and, and, you know, the interesting thing you, you just, I just thought of because you, you mentioned your audit background, when you have an auditor, I mean, firing an auditor is a little bit trickier, right? Because there's, there's, there's observers who are going to kind of wonder, well, why did you fire the auditor? Yes. Right. Did you, did you fire the auditor because they legitimately did something from a business perspective that was not cool? Or was the auditor telling you to do something on your financial statements that was the right thing to do and you didn't want him to, and you found the equivalent of the brake inspector that says, ah, you know, for twenty bucks, I'll we'll let those those thin brake pads slide and I'll give you the sticker, right? Right. right. That that's that's a real concern. That's uh, you could call that opinion shopping. Yep. Um, so I think that uh, you know I go back to my audit days. That was a specific question. You know, we fill out all sorts of checklists yep. as accountants as we go through and QC our work. Um, and in the planning stage of an audit, there was a specific question about how many times has your client fired their accountants in the past and hmm. what are the reasons and take those into consideration, one, in accepting this client. And then two, if you're comfortable accepting the client, you need to build that potentially build that into the audit risk, which determines how deep you really need to go in an audit. 
That, you know what? That's interesting. We, that, that, so as I mentioned at our, our intro, we did have a podcast talking about should I fire my attorney? We had Jeff Berman from Berman Fink Van Horn. And one of the things he talked about is, is, is attorneys, attorneys are kind of reluctant to take on a client that, that rolls through other attorneys. Right. right. Sends up some yeah. red flags. Right. I had not thought about that from the accounting perspective, but it, that, I mean, that's right. When, you know, accountants, for those of you who don't know, accountants have this process called client acceptance, at least most accounting firms do. And I think that's the checklist you're talking about is yeah. should we accept this client or retain, continue the client? And it hadn't occurred to me, but I guess on that checklist is, you know, does this person make a habit of, of having a rotating, you know, accountant merry-go-round basically? Right. And, and you may, so if, if you're, if you kind of develop that reputation of being somebody that does that, you may find it at some point hard to find somebody good that wants to represent you. That's right. That's right. The question's going to get asked eventually. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm guessing another reason why firms change accounts too, is because they receive an investment or even, you know, just financing in general. Right. Right. I, I know that VCs will often say, congratulations, here's the check, here's also the accountant you're going to be working with, <laughs> right? Right. I have actually seen the name of a firm written into a loan agreement. I was going to ask you about um, that. Does that work for banks as well? <laughs> I've seen it. Okay. I've seen it where, you know, in order to uh, to get the funding, now I'm trying to think if it was, uh, uh, I mean, it, it was a debt agreement. I don't know if it was with a bank. Yeah. Um, but it did specifically name the firm that was to do the audit of the financial statements. So it's so conditional. That, yeah. Yeah. So uh, in order to get the debt, you may have to change your, your accounting firm. Man, I, I got to find that lender and make sure they're my best friend. <laughs> that sounds great. So I've seen some that will say, you know, it must be a national firm or yep. a big four firm. Um, but I've, I've only once seen where it was the specific firm was named. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that either, but I've certainly seen it where pretty, you know, as at a minimum sort of as part of the term sheet, they say you're going to adopt whatever accounting firm we say you're going right. to, you're going to adopt, yeah. um, uh, to be named later. So, um, so in your mind as, as an advisor to clients that kind of coordinates the work of other accountants, what starts you down the road thinking, you know, I'm not sure this is the right match and maybe I'm going to tell the client to start looking at other alternatives? I would say broadly, um, unmet expectations. Like what? Uh, like on price. So um, I've often uh, seen situations where, you know, the bidding process, you've got the low bidder coming in. And then all it is is coming in with a low price um, subject to conditions that the client must meet. And if that fine print isn't read in detail and, and held to, you're going to see change orders. So for every little thing, so that allows the firm, you know, to come in, get the work, but then on the back end, I, I don't know. I, you know, firms that kind of take that approach, I, I don't think that's a really good long-term approach to, yeah. you know, to going out and generating business because it kind of leaves a bad taste in the clients. You mouth. might generate business, but you won't yeah, keep it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think you'll have high turnover in those situations. Um, but as, you know, as far as expectations go, uh, last minute surprises 
and I can talk about this from an audit perspective and from a tax perspective, you discussed the communication throughout the year. Why are we having the conversation, you know, just before the deadline? Right. Why haven't we discussed these things? I mean, and I've got, I've, I've been able, fortunately for me, so I've, I'm sitting on the other side of the table now uh, where the client asked, had asked me before, okay, why are we talking about this now at the end of the audit? We're just about to issue. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Um, so I'm able to have these conversations now where, okay, we've had all year, which is not your busy season. So there should have been time. I mean, I realize everything's cramming in here at the last, you know, the last minute for everybody, but we've had all year to talk about some of these issues. So let's, let's try to plan a little bit, be a little more proactive. Um, so I'd say the more that that happens, um, and the more heartburn accumulates, you know, over, you know, a couple of years that happens a couple of times, you know, you're going to want to move on or think about moving on. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, you think about the desired outcome of an accounting relationship, you want them to manage risk and bring stability. Right. And if it seems to be adding risk and adding instability, right, that seems to run counter to the purpose of, of, of what you're trying to do. Right. And, right. You, know, you 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 can appreciate if if somebody's going to be hit with uh, as a you know, on their personal taxes an additional ten thousand dollar tax bill and by the way you're finding about that on April thirteenth that's a little bit frustrating yes um, yeah. and and can be financially challenging right or if if you find that you're going from you've been telling everybody all your stakeholders you're expecting a massive profit this year and then five days before the audit issues you got a massive write off you got to take. Right. right. That that's 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 an issue too. To to be fair, um accounting is historical. Yep. So, you know, the end result is based on what happened. So, you know, I can't tell you what the answer is going to be in June for where we're going to be in December, but I can tell you, okay, here is where we're at in June. Yep. What are your plans for the rest of the year? So we're not going to have any surprises. Remember, we talked about this. If you were going to buy that building, if you were going to do that acquisition, um, if you were going to, um, you know, launch a product or not, or make a decision about launching a product, product or not, or changing up the C-suite, um, those are things that could affect and change the end results. So let me know what those are now. Let's discuss and let's let's uh, head those up at the pass. Um, versus on April 15th or March 15th or 16th, I think is the deadline is, Oh, that's what happened. Okay. Well that changes everything now. Right. So your answer is completely different. So, and it's the first I've heard of it. Um, so again, I think being proactive with communication, um, you know, in my, in my, in my career, um, keeping the number of surprises down, um, with your client is the best, you know, best preventative action to an upset client or client wanting to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me ask this accountants aren't cheap. I mean, I guess some are, but, but most aren't, you're not cheap. I'm not, my firm is not cheap. The firm we used to work for really isn't cheap. Um, is it unreasonable for a client to demand perfection or near perfection? Yeah, I was going to say perfection. Um, perfection can be subjective. Yeah. Um, especially, and, and you know this very well, um, that 
this business can be somewhat of an art. You know, the answer on a tax return that's acceptable to the IRS could be different from what the same exact return prepared two or three different ways could be acceptable to the IRS. Yep. So which one is perfect? Probably the one that, you know, you know, as long as it's acceptable, has the highest refund. Um, but I, I think that especially in your business, and I know you say you're not an accountant, but you, your business involves, it certainly involves numbers. I'm, I'm certainly in, in the accounting industry. I work right. for an accounting firm. So, right. So um, I, I would say that uh, relatively perfect, um, you know, we're, we're certainly not perfect, but I, I would say that, um, you know, generally and materially perfect, you know, is a reasonable expectation. Um, but you also have to understand, um, kind of where you're at. So if you have the wrong person in place, you know, so if you're, if you've got highly complex transactions and you're asking a bookkeeper to, you know, to book those transactions perfectly, you know, and they involve estimates and they involve a lot of inputs. Um, um, I, w- I would say you shouldn't expect in the first place, expect perfection, you know, from that type of service, that level of ser- service provider. But if you have a bookkeeper, you know, at the lowest level, the transactional level, um, I would say where there's not a lot of judgment, there's not a lot of art, you know, right. And, it's just a mechanical, yeah, it's mechanical process. I would say that, yeah, you should, you could expect something close to perfection there. So, is, is changing an accountant easy? And let me put some parameters around that because I know that this is very much a big it depends answer. But let's say there's already been a five-year relationship. The, the, the accounting firm is helping both in the tax and maybe the financial reporting side. How, how hard is it to change accountants and what is your existing accountant's obligation to facilitate that transition? Um. It's becoming easier, um, you know, with, with your accountant having the documents, having the documents that are, that are yours, you know, source documents, things that you own, but they're using to perform the work. Um, I think technology has enabled um, the facilitation of transmission of documents from one place to another. I know that in the past it was difficult, you know, especially like if you hadn't paid your bill, you know, to your prior accountant. Um, or it was an adverse relationship, it was a little more difficult to get all your stuff, which you really should have anyway. And that would be my suggestion is just as a, you know, a a best practice is to, you know, anything that your service provider, your accountant prepares for you or documents that you provide them to prepare either a tax return or audit and whatnot, keep files of those yourself. Don't just let them keep all that stuff um, you know, they stay as organized as they can, but it may not be exactly what you need in order to transition. So I see a lot of heartburn, heartache and gathering documents that you just don't have on file. Your old accountant, oh, my old accountant has that or all the journal entries that were ever booked on my books. I don't have them in my QuickBooks. Right. My accountant has all of my journal entries that fix all my books for the last five years and they just rebook those every year. Well, that, you know, we got to go get that from them. Well, just get those every year from yep. your accountant. Um, so make that part of the deliverable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I would say that technology is enabling, you know, better transmission because that those documents would be available there for you to log into your portal. And a lot of firms are doing that now. So 
what are some instances where a client might be thinking that they're they want to change their accountant, but really, in at the end of the day, it's really the client's issue, not the accountant's issue. That that the client is just being unreasonable, and and the client needs to kind of wait a beat and take it down a notch. Uh, yeah, there's uh, there's certain circumstances where you know clients will just it, it's just always there's all it's always a fee issue. Um. Uh, so it's never going to be cheap enough for what you're getting. Um, and then second is the information and effort that is often required on the client side. You're just never going to get it. So it's like garbage in, garbage out. Well, you're not getting my, you know, my tax return done. We're not getting through the audit. Well, we're not getting what we need as service providers in order to, you know, complete the task. You know, so if you give us garbage, you're not we're not going to give you garbage back. You're just going to get nothing. So I would say, you know, clients that get hung up, hung up on price and then don't, um, don't deliver on their end of the bargain. Okay. So, um, and then I think you're kind of touching upon this, you know, are, are there sources of client unhappiness that they don't realize is just, there's certain, there's certain part, there's certain things a client has to do to make the relationship work. And even though they may not love doing it, <laughs> that they just have to understand that's part of the process. For example, um, in, in one of my assignments, I asked for a lot of data. Sure. And I don't apologize for that. I asked for a lot of data because earlier in my career, uh, I, I get, I, I've given the surprise to the client. And it's because I didn't ask for the right data up front because I just, ah, they're not going to have that. doesn't matter. And then it turns out that had I asked for that, 45 days ago, my answer would have been radically different and right, right. <laughs> as mm-hmm. opposed to wrong, basically. Mm-hmm. So I don't apologize to that for that, but I can also, I, I know, and I sympathize the fact that, that sometimes the client is overwhelmed by the data, what looks like a very burdensome data request initially, because yes. they think that the, they start to think, well, who's working for who, right? Mm-hmm. Does, does that phenomenon occur in your side of the house too, in the, the conventional accounting world? Well, that keeps me in business. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I do audit support yep. and basically that's a function where I sit between my client and the auditor. Oh, okay. So I facilitate all of the, the requests that the, you know, that the, the auditor needs from the client. So I kind of, I'm kind of the buffer in between that takes the burden you know, my client, you know, and their personnel are still, still have to pull documents, but, you know, I kind of bat down things, you know, I make sure that, you know, the documents are really needed, um, and kind of temper the list. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely an issue and it can definitely be overwhelming. And, uh, it's certainly, I mean, it's certainly generated business for me and yep. it's, it's a need out there. Um, how do you how do you figure out if as you said nobody's perfect i'm i'm not perfect i know there there are there are deliverables i would like to have back in my career and have had to take back and fix them um at, at what point do you decide you know this this advisor just made a mistake that i just sort of can't live with um how do you how do you kind of come to that conclusion that a mistake or maybe a series of mistakes. I'm not sure if there's a difference there, but rises to the level that, you know, you just, you just got to make a change. Is, is there any kind of rule of thumb that you have or a trigger point or a, 
a threshold that you cross. You say, you know what, this this goes beyond the normal bumps and turbulence of a of an advisory relationship. I would say on the audit side, the the ultimate would be a misstatement. You know, so a financial misstatement, so something that the auditor didn't catch that yep. they may have known about. And I know we may, you know, we may talk about, you know, accountant liability, but uh, I would say that the, if the financial statements are materially misstated and your auditor signs off on it, that would be, that would be large enough to really, really consider making the decision at that point to, to go with another auditor. Okay. I, you know, I can't speak so much on the tax side, but um, I would say that frequency has something to do with it. You know, some of, some of my clients who, you know, I don't do the taxes, but they have tax providers. And if they're seeing IRS notices often, uh, that means that someone is not being proactive. So I, I think the frequency of IRS notices um, and issues there can, can certainly weigh on, needing to make a change and needing to make another, you know, choose another firm. So, you know, one thing I've noticed that you have not talked about specifically is firing your CPA because the tax bill is too high, right? We talked about surprises, right? We talked about mistakes, right? But I, I think, and I've seen that there can be a client tendency to blame the accountant because they've discovered that they're going to have to write a bigger check to uncle Sam than they wanted to. They don't have the IRS to strangle in front of right. them, so right. their their tax preparer is kind of seen as 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 an extension. So my what I'm curious about is, you know, have have you seen that? And you know, is there a point of where is there a point of where maybe the accountant isn't doing enough or 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 hasn't made enough of an effort to quote optimize tax liability? And how how does that how does that in your world kind of play in terms of how you, you consider that, that dynamic? Um, we only ask hard the, questions yeah, here on this podcast. I, the, I have seen it yep. and I've, I've seen plenty of tax accountants fired uh, because the tax bill at the, at the end of the day uh, was, was hefty. Um, and that occurs for various reasons. Um, and I think maybe we come back to communication Um and the expectations of the client. So, uh, and also how you communicate with your client. Yeah. So if your client is big picture, uh, if they don't read paragraphs and paragraphs of e- you know, an email where you lay everything out for them, um, understand your client, you know, understand how they, they, uh, they consume information so you can get the point across. So I may say, Hey, if you do this or you don't do this all year long, we're going to have an issue on April 15th. Um, but they may not, they may not read that and maybe that's not their fault. Maybe that's just not the best way to communicate with your client. Um, so I would say just expectations, no surprises, um, and find out how to communicate with your client about those things would avoid the real surprises and have, have your client. I know I'm speaking from the service provider side. I'm trying to go from, you know, looking at our service providers. Yeah, well, I mean, you've been on both uh, sides of the fence, yeah. so that's that's why I have you here because you right. can speak to that. Yeah. So, um, you know, from the client side, you know, demand a proactive approach and tell them how you want to be communicated with, you know, especially when it comes to surprises. And you know, from the service provider side, you know, do the same. 
you know that that how is is really interesting. I want to I want to kind of pause on that because I don't think I've I don't think I've explicitly reflected on that enough or even pushed on that. You know, we've had a lot of advisors come on the program, and and the 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 theme of communication in terms of a successful relationship comes up a lot. But what hasn't come up is how you communicate, right? And and right. that that leads me to think, you know, in my own personal you know experience. My wife is terrible with physical mail. If you send her something in the mail, she just will not read it. And so I have to bring in the mail to make sure we that our mail gets read. Right. And if we have jury duty or a subpoena or some you know bill or something that it actually gets taken care of, because right. my wife just flat out won't read it. And 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 we wound up firing a service provider over that because they didn't communicate with my wife about something that needed her attention, but they solely relied upon physical mail, which she never yeah. reads. Yeah. And they did their best to communicate. They met their obligation, but they didn't take the temperature of the, of their customer well enough to say, okay, we're communicating, are, we, are we communicating in a way where they have the radio tuned to the right channel to receive it? And that's a very uh, – the point you bring up there, I think that is so critical. It's not just about communicating, but communicating you know, communicating the right way. Exactly, exactly. And you and I, you got, we've been through some leadership courses yep. together. Yep. So you've got emotional intelligence. I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, the DISC profiles. And there's all sorts of different versions that yep. kind of have four quadrants usually yep. and kind of put you into you know, different boxes. Um, sometimes that's, you know, social, uh, you, you know, how you deal with things socially and then whether you're detailed or a high level type person in your decision making. So, um, if you've got somebody that's very high level that makes decisions quickly, you know, usually, you know, higher levels of leadership, they have to act fast. They're decisive. Um, they don't need as much detail to make their decisions. So you give that information to them in bullet points as opposed to a long narrative when you yep. with all the details. Some people um, require uh, high levels of detail in order to make decisions or feel comfortable. So um, those are just kind of two, two quadrants in the, you know, that of, of people and, and how you would deal. Um, you should consider, yeah. um, you know, actually, actually I worked for a firm for a brief stint and I know of at least a couple of firms that actually have their clients um, do the surveys that, you know, give you the results of what quadrant you're in, you know, what, where your emotional intelligence is, you know, what you require as far as communication. And every time they get on the phone with their client, they, they kind of look at their profile first or, or, or even send an email to make a decision about how should I communicate with my client, what, you know, what I expect from them, what needs to be done. So I think that's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't employ that currently, but I think right. it's a good idea. And I try to at least get a read on how my client, you know, consumes information and needs to get it. Well, and even the communication channel itself, right? I mean, yeah, the media, yeah, medium. Yeah. My 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 oldest son, who's about to my who's about to turn eighteen, you know, I can't get him to read an email, right? But he'll respond to a text. Yes. He'll respond to a Slack. He'll even respond to an Instagram. Um, <laughs> it's it's. And that, that's kind of interesting. You know, you want something creative, yell at your teenager with Instagram. 
<laughs> there's there's so many p- options of angry yes, pictures visually, that you can yes, sort of send yes. and things that that depict being left to dead in a ditch and things of that. So it's actually quite liberating. Gives you a sense of being creative as a parent, basically. But even you know, I, I have I have clients that run the older, not not that many. Most of my clients are are thirty five and, and younger. But the older ones, you know, for anything in depth, they still want a phone call. Yes. Right. But then yes. the younger ones you know, don't, or, or they want to do a video conference, yes. which I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, cause I pride myself in being a tech guy. I am still getting used to doing the video conference thing because yeah. I've got an ugly mug <laughs> and I don't dress in a suit every oh, day. And there have been, there have been times where I realized, shit, I got a, I, I've got a video chat in five minutes and I still have my Christopher walk and I need more cowbell t-shirt on. <laughs> Right, I'm in trouble. I don't need to have pants uh, on, but yeah, I got to have yes, a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and but that's that's sort of a reality of learning how to communicate the right way with the client. Because if you if you send the message to a a non receiving medium, there's really you really don't get points for having sent something that the client has no realistic chance chance of receiving. Right. Well, so <laughs> you know when I manage large audit teams. Um, you know, working. So I guess I'm an Xer. I'm I'm very close to millennial, but I think I'm still in, categorized as Gen X. Um, the most effective way for me to get an answer was to pick up the phone. Yeah. That's the most effective and efficient way. Um, but as my clients have become younger, and I guess as I have gotten older, I realized that you know I would harp on some of my staff. You know, when I was you know an audit manager, I would say just pick up the phone. Just call them. Don't send, you know, an elaborate email. Just pick up the phone and get the answer. That's the quickest way. Yeah. So we can move on and don't, you know, send the email, then leave for the day and just, you know, be able to clear your mind that way. Let's just, let's just get to the issue. But now, um, a lot of my clients would prefer to receive a text or an email. So, you know, I've, I guess I've aged my, I've aged out of my communication method. So I need to keep thinking about my client's preferred communication. method. What's going to, a lot of younger people won't even don't even have their voicemail set up. Right. Right. Yeah. And they they won't, you know, let alone return one. They, they just, they'll see a voicemail. They'll delete it because they'll just assume if it's that important, you'll just call back. Right. Um, so, uh, let me ask this, you know, accounting like so many services is a competitive, is a competitive field. Um, let's say I'm not necessarily unhappy with my account, but I, I meet somebody else and they want to kind of work their way in and see if they can knock the, the incumbent accountant out. Um, you know, that, that happens. It, it does. A- and, you know, as a, as a client, how open should I be to that? Should, should in, in, and even, as a as a client, should I see that as kind of a little a little sketchy? You know, is is there kind of turf there or, or some professional courtesy that's being violated, or is that is this just sort of big boy football and that's the way it works? And an incumbent always has to remain competitive and assume that somebody else is trying to knock them out for their business. How 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 do you think about that? I so CPA firms accounting firms are businesses. Yep. So there is a degree of marketing that you'll see and business development. Otherwise there, you know, an accounting firm would have no clients. If you didn't reach out, if you didn't create a network, um, you know, 
the direct approach is fine. You know, um, I would say don't waste too much time. I mean, listen to and have, you know, listen to what they have to say. And if there's something that they say that makes sense, that piques your interest, you know, continue the conversation. Um, but you know, you just, it's, it's more of an unspoken, you know, if you feel like it's just a sleazy sales pitch, um, you know, I would say don't waste too much time with it, but I think if it's a thoughtful approach and if you're in a genuine conversation and they seem to understand your business somewhat and you think that there might be something that they could add to it, I certainly have the conversation. Now, let me, let me change gears here. And this will be, I think, the most uncomfortable question I'm going to ask you all day. And that is, um, you know, as we've talked about mistakes happen, in, in your mind, where is the line between a mistake, stuff happens, people are not perfect, and then you have to start thinking about was there malpractice? Um, I think that it is, uh, it's a matter of severity, materiality, um, you know, as accountants, you know, there's certain guidelines that we have to follow, you know, when it comes to an audit, it's, you know, we're auditing under gas, which are auditing standards, the generally accepted, you know, counting principles, um, so we have to stay within the confines of those. And if we, if there's a big material miss there, then, you know, that's, uh, that's an issue. I would say that, um, whether you know about it, if you, you knowingly, so as an accountant, whether you knowingly look over something that's material, um, that could be considered a crime. Yeah. So um, I think that would probably fall more heavily into malpractice. You know, if there's a mis- misrepresentation, that's more, that's intentional, um, that you know you're deceiving uh, or skirting. Maybe it's not your client, but you're helping them skirt a loan covenant, um, meet earnings, you know, something like that. Um, I would say that that, that falls along the lines of malpractice. Um, is that, is that a good answer? Is that you tell me, <laughs> I, mean, I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know what? I think what you're, I think what you're, what you're talking about is, is understanding kind of what, what professional standards are. Right. And, uh, is, is the, mis- is the mistake big enough that, it costs the client a lot of money, basically. That's, that's usually, you know. And is it something that they that. should have caught, right? Yes. Had they been doing their job, you know, correctly? Right. I mean, and then if, even if they don't know about it, um, were they negligent? So were they just not following the rules and negligent right. in the performance of their services yeah. to not catch something material? So um, – when when you when your client is thinking about maybe changing accountants, what what is your do, do you advise a client to maybe try to do something to salvage the relationship? You know, maybe is it a conversation or different kind of engagement parameters, or maybe you talk to the accountant instead and say, "Hey, look, we got an unhappy client. You got to kind of fix these things." But are there are there precursor thought processes that you would recommend if you're if you're thinking about changing accountants before you actually pull the trigger and do it? Um, I, it should not be a knee jerk decision. Yeah. So um, in my experience and you know me, 
I often find myself uh, in the position of a mediator. Yep. You know, so I, I see. Which you're good at. I, yeah. And I see both sides um, and people for some reason kind of open up to me. So I'm able to see different perspectives. Now, in some cases, you know, I'll, I'll give people the benefit of the doubt to my own detriment, but I can see where someone is making a knee jerk decision or wants to make a knee jerk decision based on just, you know, one thing that went wrong. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, we're coming down to the wire, um, getting the tax return done. It's rush, rush. It's high stress. People want to make a knee-jerk decision just because of the, the pain in that moment. Let's step back and look at the entire relationship, you know, just because, you know, it's, it's high stress right now and we may miss a deadline. What else is this firm doing for you? And then at the same time, you know, I talk to the, you know, I can talk to the firm and say, you know, my client is really having a heartache with these these last-minute decisions and always coming down to the wire on the audit. Is there something that we can do or something that they're not doing, you know, that can make your job easier? So let's at least have these conversations before we make a decision to part ways. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's worth it to just step back before you just make a decision based on, you know, one event. So um, we're, we're, we're running out of time um, and we can't cover sort of every, every possible scenario. But if, if one of our listeners is, is kind of thinking about whether or not they should be changing accountants, could, could they reach out to you? Would you be willing to help them out? Oh, sure. sure. What's the best way for them to contact you? You can, um, you can either uh, ping me directly at uh, brian.woodman at woodmancpa.com or info at woodmancpa.com. Can reach me those ways, and so then, somebody actually reads info at woodmancpa.com? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. I think it, they all go to the same inbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to thank Brian Info Woodman for just so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.